Well, good morning, brethren. Good to see you again. Again, I am from Canton, Michigan. I, I used to kind of brag that I'm a Canadian, but uh, a couple of months ago I became an American. That's right, I have dual citizenship. So I'm a Canadian and I'm a, an American, so you can greet me either way. But if you have your Bibles with you, turn please to Proverbs chapter 17. I just want to read this text and again focus upon this matter of love. Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times. Let's again go to the Lord and ask for his help. Father, we again are coming in the name of your Son. We know there's no other way we can come. And we are thankful for the throne of grace. If it was a throne of merit, again, we could not come. But we thank you that you are a God of grace and you love to give good gifts to your children. And we are always in need of grace. We need helping grace to live the Christian life. We need enlightening grace to understand your word. And we need persevering grace to persevere, to run the race, and to be what we ought to be as your children. So again, we plead, Lord, that you would grace us with your presence. We come asking for Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit helper and counselor, And we pray again that you would be pleased to draw near to us, even as you've promised if we draw near to you. And we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. We've said this over and over again, but it's worth saying again. According to the Bible, we were made for friendship. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And while that first friendship was a married friendship, friendship is bigger than marriage. It can involve both genders, all ages, men, women, teenagers, children. And most people have a sense that they need or want friends. I believe it's part of our image-bearing capacity. We were made by God to reflect God, And God is a relational being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But here's the big question we need to answer. It's one of the most important identity questions. What is a friend? What is a friend? And thankfully, the Bible has a lot to say about friendship. The Bible has actually been called the Book of Friendship. We get introduced to a wonderful gift of friendship in Genesis 1 and 2. Chapter 3, we see the tragic wreckage of friendship. And the rest of the Bible is about friendship broken. We see broken friendships, but we also see restored and enhanced friendships because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when most people think of friends, they often think of what they do together with their friends, right? Friends go to football games or fishing or shopping, taking their children to the zoo, watching movies, playing nine holes of golf. But friendship in the Bible is not so much about doing, but about being. About being. Being a faithful 
friend who can find. But if there's one thing that shapes and characterizes a biblical or Christian friendship, it's the grace of love. Love initiates, love fosters, and love keeps and maintains friendship. And so I want to examine that grace, that friendship grace of love from three simple perspectives. Number one, friendship love emphasized. Friendship love emphasized. Friendship love explained. And then friendship love qualified. So that's where we want to go in this next hour or so. Friendship love emphasized. Friendship love explained. And friendship love qualified. First of all, Let's consider friendship love emphasized. What's love got to do with it? That was a title song way back in the 1980s by an American singer named Tina Turner. And I don't think she was telling us how great and wonderful love is, but rather questioning, is it really worth it? And if we were to ask that question when it comes to a marriage or a friendship, the Bible would say love has everything to do with it. Love is essential. It's fundamental to a friendship, to relationships in general, to marriage in particular, and also to friendships. Living up in Northern Canada, as we did for many years, we never got right into the Arctic region, but you probably know that the night sky in northern Canada in the Arctic can sometimes look like a spectacular light show. They call it the Northern Lights, purple and green and red and yellow kind of dance across the sky. And if you read your Bible, you will see spectacular displays of love in the brightest of colors. God puts on spectacular displays of love at the cross. That's the greatest spectacular display of love. But in the church, in marriages, and in friendships. And that really shouldn't surprise us because God is love. And he wants every Christian, every one of his children to love like he loves. Again, we were made to reflect God, and God is love. Listen to the Bible's emphasis upon love. Colossians 3.14, put on love. Philippians 1.9, abound in love. Hebrews 13.1, continue in love. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, increase in love. 1 Peter 4, be fervent in love. And I think you could even say this, the two northern light presentations of love are found in Romans 12 and 13. You have some 18 to 20 bright shining imperatives. Love is genuine, love is affectionate, love is zealous, rejoices in hope, is constant in prayer. And the other great northern lights display of love in the scriptures is 1 Corinthians 13. That was read already. We have there 15 hues and colors of love. Love is kind. Love is patient. And we're told what love does not do. Love doesn't get angry. Love is not rude. Love is not proud. Love hopes all things. Love covers all things. 
love endures all things. Sometimes John has been called the apostle of love some hundred times in his gospels and those three little epistles he mentions love. And then in John 15, again that was read in our hearing, you have Jesus himself focusing upon friendship love. And according to Jesus, friendship love is reciprocal. Look again at John 15. I'll read a couple of verses here. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Then drop down to verse 17. These things I command you that you love one another. Notice three times he uses the word friend. And four times he uses the word love. He doesn't want us to think of friends without thinking about love. They go together. Again that proverb. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. And. Another proverb, Proverbs 18, 24, says a friend sticks closer than a brother. And remember, this is a a Middle East culture. Family was everything. But a friend, a friend can be closer than a biological brother or sister. There, There can be a deeper love, a higher level of commitment with friends than with flesh and blood Brothers, And when you think of friendship, again, love has everything to do with it. I refer to this book more than any other book in the messages I've given by Hugh Black. I think you could actually download a copy of it for free. I don't get any royalty on that. Hugh Black, this is what he said back in the 1800s. Listen, all the spiritual blessings, friendship comes to all of us at some time or other, but it's often let slip. Most people make friends easily enough, but few keep them. They do not give the respect, the care it requires and deserves. We want the pleasure of society without the duty. We would like to get the good of our friends without burdening ourselves with any responsibility about keeping them as friends. The most common mistake we make is that we spread our friendship over a mass. We complain that we have no faithful friend when in fact we have really not expended the love. The secret of friendship, he says, is the secret of all spiritual blessings. The way to get is to give. And that's what love does. Love gives. We see that wonderfully reflected and mirrored in that friendship of David and Jonathan. You could turn to 1 Samuel 18 and see for yourself how this friendship love is set before us. 1 Samuel 18 is the first recorded face-to-face a meeting between David and Jonathan. I tend to think they met on several other occasions, but this one certainly captures the friendship love that they have for one another. Friendship generally takes, a good solid friendship generally takes a long time to develop and, 
cultivate. This friendship seems to have happened right there on the spot, almost instantaneous. But notice how many times that word love is picked up to define this friendship. Verse 1, Jonathan loved him as his own soul. If you turn over to chapter 18, or sorry, same chapter again, and then Jonathan, verse 3, and then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And then that love dynamic is rehearsed in chapter 20, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 20, verse 17. Now Jonathan again, look at this language, caused David to vow because he loved him. He loved him as he loved his own soul. Did you hear that repeat? He loved him as he loved his own soul. Three times. He loved him as he loved his own soul. And when we go to the back end of this friendship, when Jonathan is dead, his life has been eclipsed on a battlefield in 2 Samuel 1, and here David is emotionally jarred and crushed by the loss of his friends, and here's what he says, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan, you have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful. The ESV says, extraordinary. Surpassing the love of women. Now there are two Hebrew words that are used for the love of David and Jonathan. There's the Hebrew word ahav. That's the word that we've read several times already. It captures the closeness and the, and the deepness of intimacy. Their hearts were wedded or, or knit together like one soul. That's that love of Ahav. And there's another love that describes the friendship between David and Jonathan. It's the Hebrew word hesed. It's that covenant word, the word that is used of God in his covenant with his people 1 Samuel 20, verse 8, Therefore you shall deal kindly, has said, with your servant. 1 Samuel 20, verse 14, And you shall not only show me the kindness, has said of the Lord, and while I still live that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness, your, your has said, from my house forever. That word has said is somewhat complex. It's a nuanced word. It has more than one shade of meaning, and various English translations are trying to capture the nuance of it, its strength and its power and its resolve. Loyal love. Devoted love. Dependable love. Constant love. Steadfast love. You could even call it covenant love. I mentioned John Newton and his friend with William Cooper, and William Cooper I mentioned as well, that struggled a lot with high degrees of depression, tried to commit suicide on more than one occasion, and Newton would go for long walks with his friend William Cooper. And one time he even sacrificed his whole vacation to stay close to his friend who was going through one of those severe bouts of depression. He actually invited Cooper to live with him for about a year until his depression abated. That's what you call deep, 
loyal love. Ahav has said love. That's the love of commitment. Spurgeon describing this love. When thou hast found such a man and proved the sincerity of his friendship, when he has been faithful to thee, grapple him to thyself with hooks of steel and never let him go. Friendship, love, emphasize. Secondly, friendship, love, explain. Friendship, love, explain. How does this friendship, love, express itself? I've often wondered, why is the David-Jonathan relationship so emphasized and profiled in the Bible? Do we have more about David and Jonathan's friendship than any other friendship in Scripture. And I think it's because it does help us understand what true friendship is like. It's sort of like a a guiding light or a north star in terms of how a true friendship functions. What are the concrete actions or expressions of this deep, loyal love? Let me give you four particulars. To explain friendship love, number one, friendship love or this deep loyal love protects the character of his friend. That's the first thing. This deep loyal love protects the character of his friend. Sooner or later, your friendship will be tested. Sooner or later, friendships come under the pressure from our own sin, sometimes from the world, sometimes from the devil, and sometimes they work in cahoots. And David and Jonathan's friendship will be severely tested. How? Well, first of all, David's own father, who is king, will go after David on a seek-and-destroy mission. The green monster of envy takes over the soul of King Saul and he begins to plot and scheme the murder of David. We read of that in 1 Samuel 19, verse 1. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan and his servants that they shall kill David. And he starts a whispering campaign. That's often how it works. You want to get rid of what is a potential threat to the throne, you start to whisper, start in a character assassination. Proverbs says, a whisperer separates best of friends. Will King Saul succeed? Not with Jonathan. Because if you look down at 1 Samuel 19, verse 4, notice, then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul. So Saul is speaking evil or putting David in a terrible negative light, but not Jonathan. Jonathan spoke well of David. Dad, you got it wrong. Dad, he's not your enemy. Dad, David is a man of integrity. Dad, David is a man you can trust. I will vouch for David. Innocent until proven guilty is the law of friendship. 
But Jonathan puts himself at odds with his father and even endangers his own life. And he never backs away. He never wavers in support of his friend David. Deep loving loyalty protects the character of a friend. Second manifestation of this deep loyal love, deep loyal love keeps the secrets of a friend. David, very early in his relationship, entrusts his friend Jonathan with a secret. David has to go into hiding. He's under under the threat of the king. King Saul wants to kill him. And David, who was sort of like the big man on campus, the star quarterback after he slayed Goliath, everybody loved David except King Saul. And David becomes arch enemy number one. And as a result, David is on the run. David is soon homeless. He's, He's living the life of a fugitive. He's living in caves and in the wilderness. And in 1 Samuel 23, verses 14 through 16, you get a kind of interesting play-by-play. 1 Samuel 23, verse 14, here David is in the wilderness, and we learn that King Saul is looking for him. 1 Samuel 23, verse 14, and David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Sif, and Saul sought him every day. If you drop down to verse 16, here you have the contrast. And Jonathan, David's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. So here you have King Saul on a seek-and-find mission to kill David. He can't find him, but here you have Jonathan, and he finds him. How does he know where he is? David told him. That was a secret, and he keeps it. Again, Proverbs warns of the talebearer who goes about and reveals secrets. Friends keep secrets. You can trust a friend. And here's again something that we should also be aware of because if you betray your friend, you betray a secret, you could very well lose a friend. It's interesting when you think of the New Testament and what Judas does. He betrays Jesus, doesn't he? How did those Roman soldiers, how did those uh, scribes and those Pharisees know where to go in terms of where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Judas told them. Judas betrayed Jesus. He wheeled and dealed for 30 pieces of silver. And part of the deal was, I'll tell you where you can nab him. Now, let me just give one qualification here. There might be times in your friendship where you have to tell the secrets of your friends. 
you have to divulge for the sake of your friend the secret they don't want you to tell. Think of David's later fall into sin, right? He falls into sin with another man's wife, a woman by the name of Bathsheba, kills her husband, and then he tries to keep that a secret. We, we all have an instinct, don't we, to hide when we sin. And, that, and that's not good for our souls. Proverbs 28 gives us the warning, he who covers his sin shall not prosper. And David's best friend, God, you could say, God won't let David go on in that sin. God obviously knows what he's done. You can't keep secrets from God. David must have thought he could. I don't know why, but he, he, he's so blinded by his own sin, he thinks he can hide from God. And God says, no, you're not going to hide this sin, David. And he sends Nathan the prophet. And he confronts David about his sin. You see, God loves his friend David. He's not going to allow David to continue to be in that state, that backslidden state, and harden his heart. So yes, there, there might be times where the secrets of your sin or of your friend's sin has to be exposed if they're jeopardizing their souls. But friends keep secrets. That's consistent, for the most part, with grace. We keep secrets. That's what friends do. Friends should be able to confess their sins to one another and expect that friend to keep the confidence. That secret is safe, like it were locked in a secret vault. Deep loving loyalty protects the character of your friend. Deep loving loyalty keeps secrets of your friend. Thirdly, deep loving loyalty will keep the promises you made to your friend. Deep loving loyalty will keep the promises you made to your friend. Again, this is beautifully displayed in the friendship between David and Jonathan. Both men keep their promises. Both men remain loyal to each other in terms of oath-sworn promises to that said covenant love. Jonathan keeps his promise to be a friend. He's there when David needs him in the wilderness. He counsels David. He weeps with David. And David, in turn, keeps his promise and brings Jonathan's crippled son, remember, Mephibosheth, under his guardian care. That was consistent with the covenant, that covenant of love. And doesn't Jesus do the same? Remember, he's talking to his friends there in the upper room, and he gives them promises, doesn't he? He gives them the promise that he'll never leave them orphans. He promises the Holy Spirit. He promises God will answer their prayers when they pray in his name. And Jesus, the friend, keeps all of his promises. That's what a true friend does. Now, most of the promises of our friendships are rather small, aren't they? Most times. But don't think they're not significant. A promised phone call, a promise to attend a birthday, a wedding, a funeral, a promise to be at a sickbed, 
promised to meet for a cup of coffee. Don't treat your promises like toothpicks and easily break them. Because behind every promise is your word. Behind every promise is your character. Behind every promise is something sacred. God makes promises. He always keeps them. And when you get married, the Lord blesses you with a marriage partner. You make bigger promises until death do us part and in sickness and in health. Deep loving loyalty will manifest itself by protecting the character of your friend. Deep loving loyalty will manifest itself by keeping the secrets of your friend. Deep loving loyalty will manifest itself by keeping the promises to your friend. And in the fourth place, in terms of why we can say this has said love is deep and loyal and faithful, Deep loving loyalty will manifest itself by making sacrifices for your friend. Deep loving loyalty will manifest itself by making sacrifices for your friend. Remember, again, Jesus. He sets the standard. He talks about laying down his life for his friend. The sacrifice of sacrifice. I'm willing to lay down my life. I'm willing to be bruised for your iniquity. I'm willing to become sin for you. And in comparison, every sacrifice we make to our friends is kind of like a pickprick or pinprick by comparison to the sword of divine wrath that he endured for us. Going back to the David-Jonathan friendship, Jonathan was willing to make sacrifices, right? Right out of the, the starting block, he strips himself of that royal princely garb and hands his sword over to David, essentially saying to his friend, David, I'm willing to, to serve you. I'm, I'm willing to, to step back, David. I'll not stand in front of you. I'll let you be king. I'm willing to decrease that you might increase. And for Jonathan to maintain that friendship with David, he had to suffer alienation from his own flesh and blood father. He is going to experience some alienation and anger from his dad. And David will experience sacrifice as well after the death of Jonathan. As I said earlier, his Son Mephibosheth will come under his roof and David will take care of that crippled boy for the rest of his life. You want a friend? Everybody wants a friend. But not everybody's prepared to say or prepared to pay the cost or the depth of what a friendship requires. It will cost you verbal investment. It will cost you time investment. It might even cost you financial investment. 
It will cost you emotional investment. It will cost you prayer investment. And it will cost you wisdom investment. Now, you might be thinking, why? Why should I make that kind of investment? Well, for one, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But think of the alternative if you just live for yourself. C.S. Lewis. This is what he says. Wrap your life carefully around your hobbies and your little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. You see, you lose. You almost become like a dead man in a coffin if you don't give of yourself to others. And if we embrace the demands of love, that's what we're talking about here, as far as a friendship, we are making one of the greatest investments in life and in the kingdom in terms of usefulness and fruitfulness. Making friends is a wise investment. It not only helps them, but it helps you. Again, I've quoted Mr. Ryle, I believe, a couple of times, this wonderful quote, it will half your sorrows and double your joys. Making friends is a wiser investment than making money. But think how much time people spend on making money and how much time they spend on making friends. And no question, friends is a greater treasure. Friendship love emphasized, that's the first thing we've considered. Friendship love explained. Now thirdly, and the final thing, friendship love qualified. Friendship love qualified. I have three qualifications. The same Bible that Extols friendship is the same Bible that warns us of some of the dangers and some of the risks of friendship. So we have to be careful because the best of God's gifts can become a snare, an idol, a stumbling block. And so here's the first qualification. Loving loyalty or deep loving loyalty does not mean ultimate loyalty. Friends are not to be idols. And that can happen. We we can depend too much, expect too much, and give too much to maintain and keep our friends. And when your friendship begins to compromise your ethical standards, when your friendship have you crossing moral boundaries, then your friend has stolen your heart from God. And how many young people have compromised their sexual purity, have lied for their friends, have stolen for their friends, 
all under the banner of friendship. That's not what a true friend does. I think something of that happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam made a wretched choice. Adam should never have taken that fruit from his wife's hand. Adam should never have eaten what his wife Eve ate. But he had to make a choice. He had to make a choice. Eve or God? Eve or God? Who comes first, Adam? Eve or God? And Adam says, Eve. Eve took precedence over his friendship with God. And it almost destroyed both of them. And I have, over the years of 35 years, seen compromises in friendships, especially the marriage friendship, afraid to say no to the wife or to the husband, but not afraid to say no to God. There's only one person who deserves ultimate loyalty. Only one person. Pretty simple. God and God alone. Christ and Christ alone. We are to love him more, more than our mothers. Didn't he say that? More than our fathers, more than our brothers and sisters, more than husband and wife, more than our best friends. That's the first and great commandment, to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. Second thing we could say in terms of qualification when it comes to this matter of loving loyalty, your friend will never be able to love you perfectly. He will never be able, she or he will never be able to love you perfectly. Ultimate loyalty does not mean perfection, because no sinner is capable of perfection. Sooner or later, your friends will disappoint you. Count on it. That's a given, this side of of heaven. If you're in a marriage for any length of time, your wife's going to disappoint you, and you're going to disappoint her. No perfect marriage. No perfect friendship. And think of our Lord Jesus. Think of him in the garden. Do you think he was disappointed with his friends? I mean, he asked them just to watch and pray. Three times. He comes back and he finds them sleeping. I think he was disappointed. You get the sense of that, don't you? Could you not watch? Could you not watch for one hour? And we can fail one another, can't we? Loving loyalty will never be perfect. And we fail Jesus, don't we? John Newton, in that beautiful hymn of his on a friend, one there is above all others, well deserves the name of friend, could we bear from one another what he daily bears from us? Yet this glorious friend and brother loves us, though we treat him thus. 
Though for good we render ill, he counts us brothers still. It seems to me, if you, if you know anything of your own heart, it should never cease to amaze you that you have a friend. That anybody could love you or love me. When you think of all your failings, all your weaknesses, all your sins, it should never cease to amaze us. I have a friend, someone who loves me. Not perfectly, but he loves me. She loves me. And that comes to a, a high level in a marriage relationship. That, that's the beauty of a marriage. This person loves me in spite of all she knows about me and all my failings, and she sees it almost every day. She loves me. That, that's the grace of love. That's amazing, amazing grace in the sense of a human friendship, and that's because of God. But we will disappoint each other because we are sinners. Love is not ultimate. Love is not perfect. And the third qualification concerning loving loyalty Loving loyalty must be biblically regulated and balanced. Loving loyalty must be biblically regulated and balanced. Yes, loving loyalty will will seek to encourage a friend... You see that with David and Jonathan. Jonathan goes out into the wilderness to strengthen his hand. A brother is born for adversity. Loving loyalty will express itself in that kind of coming alongside, giving you the comfort, the support you need. If your friend is going through a difficult time, you find them locked in that dungeon of despair. They're going through a deep bout of depression. Yes, you come alongside. You comfort them. If your friend's going through a tough time in another area of their lives, you seek to bring comfort and consolation. You seek to be a a friend. But there will be times when your friend needs tough love. Jesus could be tough with his friends. On one occasion, he said to one of his closest friends, Get behind me, Satan. And you remember his two friends, those two women friends, Martha and Mary? Martha's having a tough time. She's giving herself to the task of hospitality, and she's becoming quite anxious and worried and troubled. And what does Jesus say to her? He knows that anxiety is consuming her. And he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, he says it in a very gentle sort of way, but it was a rebuke. 
And then he turns around and he commends her sister. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which shall never be taken away from her. He deals with both of his women friends, Martha and Mary. He deals with them faithfully, lovingly. He carefully crafts a rebuke for Martha. And he carefully crafts a word of praise for Mary. Perfectly balanced. His love was regulated by his love for each of them, and he tailor makes his words for their need. Coming back again to loving, being a loving friend, we can't cease to remind ourselves that Jesus is the ultimate friend. Spurgeon said, No one loves like Jesus loves. Well, hanging on the cross, even on the cross, I'm always amazed when you see Jesus on the cross, he's even there taking care of his friends, his mother friend. He gives that loving instruction to his disciple friend, John, behold your mother. And then there's that thief on the cross who had been railing and cursing him and And Jesus could have just ignored him, refused to listen to him. But when the man cried out, Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus immediately comes with a love answer. Today you will be with me in paradise. Doesn't say tomorrow or 10 years after you've been in purgatory. Today. He promises eternal life before the sun closed that night. The thief was in heaven. He was with the friend of sinners. That's the good news of the gospel. He died to make sinners his friends. You can be reconciled to God today if you're an enemy of his. And you are an enemy of his if you're still outside of Christ. You can be a friend of God and of Christ by believing on Jesus Christ. And you can leave here singing, what a friend. What a friend I have in Jesus. All my sins and griefs to bear. Let us pray. Again, Father, we come to you as our friend, as our shepherd, as our king. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and for all that you have done in the lives of so many who sit here now. And we pray, Lord, that we would grow in our love for you, that we would grow in our love for one another, that we would grow to be the kind of friends that model and put you on display. And again, we pray for any who sit amongst us who are still strangers to your grace. May this be the day they humble themselves and come to Jesus by faith. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.